0: Welcome to The Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobec Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello Hello, and welcome to the Hopcast Book Show, show number 77 in this epic run of podcasts that we have created so far.
1: 77, the year that Virginia Wade won Wimbledon.
0: It is, yeah, and the Queen attended. She hardly ever goes and to it Wimbledon.
1: And was, it, it was her jubilee, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: It was, silver jubilee.
1: I remember it well.
0: Yeah, now we've had a platinum one. Well, welcome to the show. My name is Adrian Hobart.
1: And my name is Rebecca Collins.
0: And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers, of the following four genres.
1: Crime.
0: Mysteries.
1: Suspense.
0: And thrillers.
1: I was being the Grand
0: Prix. You. <laughs> think. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what which, which era of Grand Prix engine you were. Perhaps you were the V10 engine, which is the one everyone prefers.
1: How did you guess?
0: Well, well done. You Blimey, know. you're good. Uh, they used to say of Murray Walker that Murray Walker's excited voice <laughs> was exactly the same timbre and pitch.
1: It was as
0: a V10 engine. Hey, look at that! You know that kind of thing.
1: I think yeah, I think that happened to him. Yeah, poor Blake,
0: b- bless him, bless him. <laughs> uh, he Uh-oh, passed away last year, at 97 up. years old. Lovely man. Had the pleasure to spend some time with him over the years. So uh, we digressed already. That's the nature of this show. When you say we, well, you brought it up, <laughs> and I just followed the thread. That's what we do.
1: Oh, it's all my fault then.
0: <laughs> okay, well, let me just uh, bring things th- to order and tell you who is on the show this week. Mary Kendall is joining us from the A United States. Away. Yeah, from the United States. And Mary Kendall is uh, a writer of historical fiction and uh, reached out to us when we were having one of our temporary trawls for emergency guests, which <laughs> happens every <laughs> so often. Um, we've fairly full books at the moment. In fact, people are sort of approaching us and saying, how do we come on the podcast? Do you and know the- what?
1: I like having I emergency that. guests, though, because... Yeah,
0: it's brilliant because it puts us on our, our metal a little. But, it, you know, e- even, even last week when we were in Southworld, and if you haven't caught it, the Slaughter in Southwold episode is one of my favourites to date... Um, you know, it, it kind of, it's it seat of the pants podcast making because, to be honest, neither William Shaw nor Cara Hunter knew that we were going to approach them for a podcast. They had
1: absolutely no idea.
0: But they were brilliant and they really entered the spirit of what we, we try to achieve. So that was a, a terrific episode. And, uh, you know, Mary did the same. So we'll look forward to speaking to Mary Kendall uh, a little bit later in the programme. There's some news to get through and we've got tons of Hobeck developments to take you through as well. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be a really bu- oh, I've got a very busy week coming up. I'm sorry, you're 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 home alone with the kids mm-hmm. this week, and I'm in London. You know, getting drunk and doing publishing things.
1: Yes, so
0: we'll talk about that later. You know, just dab your tap your eyes a bit more. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's get into some news. Well, uh, in terms of crime writing, uh, the shortlist for the Theakstons uh, Award came up, which is of course the feature event. Thank you very much. Funny you dropped me. his phone. I dropped my phone. That's <laughs> terrible. I blame Mackie. She's asleep. Look,
1: she is, she's, not, she's about her foot away from us at the moment. She Curled is. up in a ball, you can see a body, two paws and an ear at the moment. P- pretty
0: standard behaviour for her. <laughs> so at Harrogate, Theakston's old peculiar crime writing festival at the Old Swan Hotel, uh, there will be the awards night. And the six books that are up for that award are The Nighthawks by Ellie Griffiths published by Quirkus, True Crime Story by Joseph Knox, which, if I'm not mistaken, is oh, in my... Oh, that's my to there. Be, Yeah, it's in my... It to, was there. It was there. It's in my t- to-be-read pile. Yeah,
1: I would read that too.
0: On the on the mantelpiece there. <laughs> uh, Daughters of Night by Laura Shepherd Robinson, Don't published by one. Mantle Pan. Slough House by Mick Herron, uh, published he? by Baskerville. <laughs> yeah. Well, this time we're going to get an interview with him, I, I promise. Uh, Midnight at Malabar House by Vazim Khan. With Hodder and Stoughton, Ooh. and the last thing to burn by Will Dean, also Oh,
1: and that is definitely on my to, to read pile because I've heard so many good things about that book. I really yeah, love and him. he's
0: a really nice, he fella. is lovely. And isn't we he? approached Vazim at Bristol; I just haven't got round to emailing him, asking for an interview. So it may be that we need that interview if he's won the prize <laughs> in Harrogate. And it, uh, you know, on Harrogate things, uh, Orion Publishing are going to have their uh, incident room in the library at uh, Old Swan, like they did last year, which is where they have special events for their authors. Yeah. Uh, but they've invited two podcasts to do some specials with them. But some... not
1: the Hobcast no. podcast. So
0: Blood Brothers are going to be there, and uh, Crime Time FM are going to be doing podcasts. But they didn't invite us.
1: I have to say, actually interjecting a, a little bit, but I um, saw... Don't hump at me. I saw a new... There's a new podcast which I'm not really, humping at them, not you. Oh. <laughs> there's a new podcast that appeals to me because it's called Crime and Wine. Ooh. Now, I don't know anything about them yet. They've just appeared on Twitter and we follow each other. But, you know, I want to get to know them.
0: Yeah, well, maybe we'll do a Because they double...
1: combine crime with wine. Well,
0: why don't we do a double header? <laughs> and I will get my... Uh, an old school friend of mine is one of the best... Independent wine merchants in the world.
1: Yes, we, we've we've dabbled a bit. Yeah, right. he's
0: won the International Wine Challenge Retailer of the Year. You know, like the wine merchant of the year. Um, teen Times, and he's got a tiny. Well, it's not so tiny now. It used to be a tiny shop on the edge of Cambridge, but we used to have a, a locker. This is Noel Young Wines, if you case to look them up but I guarantee if you buy a wine from them you will not be disappointed it's and brilliant no matter what the price point it's amazing
1: and what I like is so we it's twice now I think isn't it we've had a You've, box yeah, of wines yeah, yeah. and that th- there's a theme to the box what mm-hmm. was the last one
0: Malbec Malbec's. Argentine Malbec yeah.
1: and it's not just that they're not really expensive wines they're no. they're, mod- they're moderately priced that we can afford them, so mm-hmm. you, yeah. and they're really good. Yeah, and you get a sheet of white tasting, tasting notes.
0: notes. Yeah, brilliant t- tasting notes. I mean, he's, he's just basically—I <laughs> don't know how genetically he was wired to discover great wines, but he just know his stuff. Um, anyway, that's Noel Young wines. Uh, not a sponsor of our program, but perhaps Noel, you might, m- <laughs> might like to consider it at some point in the future, especially if there's a new podcast which deals with crime and wine. <laughs> Anyway, um, so that's the Theakston's uh, shortlist, and later in the week, it's the big one for us because Mark <gasps> Whiteman's Waking the Tiger is in line. It's shortlisted for the John Creasy New Blood Award at the CWA Daggers, which is being held at the Leonardo Hotel and Tower Bridge in London, and I shall be attending. It's black tie, do, but I've already heard from uh, from Mark's agent that he's not going to turn up in black tie, no, nor is I think Mark. Mark.
1: Mark is dithering. At he's the moment. dithering
0: about it. Okay, well, I, I've gone to the trouble because I, I went to dig out my my DJ. And, um, yeah, that's fine. It fits a bit long in the sleeves, but that was always the case. I just haven't bothered to get it altered yet. But the trousers were four inches too big at the waist.
1: That's my fault.
0: Yeah, it is your fault. What, what, you you well, better explain why it's your fault.
1: Two reasons. One, you have to eat my cooking. Two, I force you to play tennis three times a week.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, you really <laughs> force me to do that. and know I love it. It's been brilliant. So, yes, I've lost a bit of weight, which is fantastic. But four inches, I mean, okay, it was extravagantly large trousers last time. But uh, that's a significant weight loss.
1: He's disappearing.
0: Yeah. So, before my you know, eyes. Well, that, that, it feels good. It feels good. There's a long way to go yet.
1: But it, we are so, well, when I say, I am quite excited on your behalf
0: but i had <laughs> a wobble
1: that. i had a wobble on uh, friday did. i was you actually really in did. tears and i said okay i went up to you and i said it's not fair i really want to go and you go for two parties and i go go to any parties yeah. i've had a big wobble because
0: yeah, the one on tuesday is the self-publishing show party it's part of their uh, self-publishing live event
1: now the reason i had a wobble is because we were there for that what three years ago mm-hmm. and we wimped out of going to the party because we, we were tired.
0: We were knackered, but you see, the thing was, it was going to be on a boat, one of those, uh, you know, wining and dining boats that go up and down the Thames. So you had to be there. And once you were on it, you were stuck there. And apparently it was <laughs> extremely hot on board. And a lot of people really struggled through it because, you know, there was no escape. Oh, from is it the, not on a hit- boat this time? No, it's not. It's actually in the, it's just simply in the lobby of where they're holding the overall event. At 7 uh, PM. So, oh, so
1: the that's South Bank.
0: A, yeah, the South Bank, yeah. So um, that's going to be a lot.
1: Uh, so you can sneak off if you get yeah too hot yeah, and tired.
0: Basically, yeah. So I'll be attending the second day of that uh, conference and see what 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 uh, revelations there are. Um, broadly speaking, I'm, I'm you know I'm not that optimistic, but uh, our good friend Rachel McLean's going to be speaking, so it'd be good to see her too. But th- I'm sure there are a lot of familiar faces from the indie scene that I'll uh, I'll bump into at those two events, and then obviously the daggers follows that. So
1: yes. And and you're, you've got quite a good menu, haven't you, for the night? And I would have eaten all of the things on the menu. Yeah,
0: but then, well, there's two menus. There's two menus. There's menu A and B. And I think A is like chicken something and a
1: chicken supreme, chicken tarragon supreme.
0: sauce, right? <laughs> uh, and a mandarin cheesecake. I can't remember what the starter was.
1: Beetroot something.
0: Yeah, that's right. <gasps> it looked amazing. Beetroot salmon. I, I love that. I but, would love no, that. No, okay, fine. Look, this is you know, <laughs> and this is a first world problem. But the the menu B was like a jackfruit steak and you know vegan stuff and um so i'd put on my form for what i wanted you know do i have any allergies and yes i've got a slight gluten well quite considerable gluten intolerance but they were going to force me onto meal b because of that (laughs) and you didn't want to be absolutely not i'd rather i'd rather have the consequences of eating gluten than eating jackfruit
1: yes he would he does (laughs) it quite often he he would rather (laughs) live with the consequences at I really, o'clock would. in the morning
0: absolutely absolutely <laughs> listen we've digressed already we've already talked about well, this is really what the stuff we usually do after the interview so let's not burn oh, we, we've
1: got plenty more to talk about <laughs> yeah let's
0: not burn things through things too much let's get into some uh, more news well it's not so much news it's a uh, it's a feature in this week's uh bookseller which is a celebration of northern publishing well, I, I mean it's almost patronizing when they say oh, northern publishing well
1: you say that, but this was a bookseller northern special. Oh yeah, and right. they they do this. They do a Welsh one every Believe now and then.
0: they publish books in the north. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yeah. we should be we should be pleased about this
0: though because but, that'd be, but we're not in the north.
1: No, I know we're not in the north, but there's hope if they if they look at the north, they will then turn on the way home to the Midlands.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) We're still a wasteland. Um, But yeah, okay. So, I mean, this article, I mean, it's puffing things up a little bit. Hachette moved um, some some of their operations to Sheffield, I think it was last year, and they're taking on some more people. um, So expanding their operation in the north. That's one reason why they're saying the north is rising (laughs) in publishing um they're also i mean this is an interesting development because we discovered this week that our alma mater at uh, exeter university are launching an ma in publishing um and that came as a surprise to us and uh, so we wrote to their course leader and haven't heard back not yet no disappointing stop it <laughs> okay they're probably on holiday right now but anyway uh but ma in publishing are, are popping up everywhere northumbria university in fact i was only there yesterday with my son james who who's thinking of studying geography there really impressed with northumbria it's based in the center of newcastle right next to newcastle university the, the more illustrious of the two traditionally um but really impressed with the facilities and the um, and the welcome and the standard of, of research and teaching particularly in geography was really high the uh, the way they handled the open day was fantastic, and so if they did got you a, get a T-shirt? Uh, no, they didn't do the Manchester. Ham ha Manchester me a shirt I got, a t- 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 I got a tote bag.
1: <laughs> oh well, a shirts better than a tote bag.
0: Oh okay, Fair <laughs> got lots of freebies. Otherwise, uh, I even got a uh, an energy ball to to What's eat. An energy ball. Oh, well, they, they have um they have a, a an outfit on campus uh, who teach. You know, they basically provide the catering for all the outlets. That's one thing they do. But what was really interesting, we went up to their stand to find out what these. Balls were, and they um, they then told us that they actually run uh, courses for for the students to learn to cook.
1: That's good.
0: Yeah, that is good. That's really good. And they go in and sort of take a group of six people in their kitchen, their joint kitchen, and and teach them some simple meals so they can they can do for each other, you know, economically and uh, develop their skills. So there were lots of little little bits of innovation about that place, Northumbria University, I thought was really impressive. And it's the sort of place where they don't accept that they're second place to their bigger rivals in in the city. Um, they don't, uh, they're don't; they really going for it. And uh, it was really imaginative the whole way it was set up. And the, the buildings are amazing, some of them, some of the new ones.
1: I think that cooking thing is really good, though, because I'm sure you... Came across uh, fellow students who had absolutely no idea how to cook. No,
0: I used to cook for them because I was afraid that, you know, they were going to waste away after in your second year and third years.
1: Well, one of my housemates tried to grill a cu- cucumber on toast.
0: <laughs> Good Lord. Well, I had, a, I had a housemate, Gavin, who who used to, because he wouldn't wash up, we complained on him so much that he bought some uh, cardboard plates and plastic cutlery. <laughs> I love that. And uh, therefore, he could just dispose of it. But he'd still use it three times. It because he was Scottish. He used to <laughs> he used to use it, you know, these plates three times and cutlery, and then he'd chuck them away. Um, honestly, you know, it, it wouldn't do in today's society of trying to reduce plastic use. But um, it was quite imaginative and, and funny.
1: It was very funny.
0: Um, anyway, we so there's MAs in publishing at uh, Northumbria. At Exeter and there's one uh, also Metro- Manchester yes, Metropolitan, um, which I've had the I've, I've been to things there. It's um, you know basically on the Mancunian Way, the main buildings for, for the arts side of the of the, of the uh, institution. And again, much like uh, you know Northumbria, again it's one of these former polytechnics which has really taken off and is giving Manchester University a much much more established establishment if that's not such a silly <laughs> phrase, um, a real run for its money. But I, what's interesting to me is that there's so many courses in MAs in publishing. I don't know where the demand for people with MAs in publishing is coming from. Well,
1: I mean, Oxford Brooks I think, were the pioneers in this, weren't they? They, yeah. they are well known for their MA in publishing. And then, of course, UEA as well. They, they've got the sort of writing, mm. more writing yeah, focused. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's a really good thing. I mean, I think if I graduated now, I always wanted to work in publishing. I think I would have, Considered an MA in yeah, publishing.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to know what, what things they're, they're covering um, in these MA's in publishing, because it's an industry which is still torn between traditional and independent ways of thinking and different formats. I mean, you know, there are still parts of the traditional publishing industry who still look down on e-books um, without question. that You know, it's not a real book if it's just an e-book. But that's changing, but slowly.
1: Well, I mean, the way to find out is to look at the course...
0: You I know. guess so. I guess so. You know, uh, for anyone listening from one of those calls, we're very happy to come and talk.
1: Yeah, come on the podcast. If you're doing an MA in their main publishing, we'd love to talk to you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Any more news?
1: Um, only little titty bits, really. Um, <laughs> I'll
0: leave you. The, leave that one hanging. <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, we've been, we've had books on long lists and short lists of prizes. And every time that happens, we, we sit there and go, oh, this is the magic moment. We're going to have to reprint thousands of copies. And it hasn't quite happened like that yet. No. But, um, so the International uh, Booker Prize was announced last week. Um, which is quite a big prize, but it's not quite so publicised as much as the Booker, the Booker Prize. As the Booker Prize, yeah. So um, the publisher of the International Booker Prize is, uh, they're called Tilted Axis. And I've heard of them. I quite like that, Tilted Axis. That's nice, nice, yeah. They had to reprint, so they're the publishers of the of the winner. They had to reprint 15,000 copies and because sales had leapt. You'll never guess the percentage. Eight hundred percent Blimey increase in sales so now 15
0: fifteen thousand print mark say. if
1: you win on wednesday
0: <laughs> yeah but ah but he has another opportunity to win because what oh, we've yes. forgotten to mention is that waking the tiger by mark whiteman, whiteman has a fourth nomination now for a major award now i can't remember how to pronounce this so you better do well it.
1: i can i can write it it's in the marsh
0: award now this is for australasian
1: new zealand um they're based in new zealand um that it they're a lovely organisation. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've had um, email exchanges with Craig, who sort of mm. is the person in charge, quite a few times now, and um, they just they just like to champion anyone with a connection with New Zealand or New Zealand citizenship. I think it is. And Mark does officially have citizenship with New Zealand. He's an international guy.
0: He is basically an international man of mystery.
1: <laughs> and so we we were able to put him up for this award because of his uh, connection with New Zealand. Yeah. And he's on the long list.
0: It's on the long list. And actually interesting that, that they've made a big thing of, you know, the, the Singapore in 1930s in their publicity as well. So. It's had a really good push. Yes. Frankly. And um, there's some really good books on you. that
1: list, actually. I've, I've been looking at them. Well,
0: I mean, so is his. But, um, no, I know,
1: but you know what I mean. It's yeah, we're, we're rather a good, close solid list.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no. I mean, it's great. So a fourth big award nomination. So congratulations to Mark. Well, let's hope, you know, that it goes the full way at the Daggers. Uh, if not, I'll just get drunk.
2: <laughs> and
1: I will at home. I've got some champagne. <laughs> next,
0: next week we'll, I mean, of course, feature quite a bit of the stuff that I'll gather in, in London um from from that event you're off on holiday the week after aren't you
1: i am yes so week today i will be uh, on my way to anglesey (laughs) with my mother my brother and my sister so it's like we're stepping back 35-odd years mm. and having a family holiday. That's weird.
0: <laughs> well, I hope it goes well. We'll talk about that. You know, we'll have to link up somehow. We will link up. We'll, we'll do something. Essentially, though, this next coming week will be sort of my sort of travelogue around the London literary scene and then you and I talking um, yes. from distant Wales.
1: I'll, I'll be doing all the grind at home.
0: Oh, <laughs> God. Well, who's doing it the week after? Moi. Uh, brilliant yeah okay (laughs) authors if you're listening you will get replies eventually you won't just get my out of office i think
1: i'll probably get an email saying i've tried to email adrian about such and such and (laughs) just checking is he around
0: Mm, yeah notionally (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's good news for them um we're talking about that the the the, the increase that an award win can can make okay let's get into our interview with mary kendall and uh, we really want to speak to as many authors around the world as possible. It's just, a, you know, this is an international show. Absolutely. And uh, Mary, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely story. She's a historian by trade um, and has great anecdotes about haunted houses. Her dad used to do up houses and things in the Washington area. And her book is based in the Washington uh, area, for Spinster's Fortune. Is the title,
1: and she has a connection with Wolverhampton, which we talk about. We do,
0: we do. Hey, well, let's let's get. Oh, let's hear from her. This is Mary Kendall. Well, it's a thrill and a delight to have Mary Kendall on the Hobgast Book Show. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Adrian and Rebecca. I'm delighted to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you.
0: Well, it's it's our pleasure, and uh, we would like to first of all thank you for your forbearance because what people don't realize <laughs> is just how many attempts we've made to get this going. Uh, And due to technical issues, it's been difficult. But we've got you now. And where are we speaking to you from?
2: So I live in the mid-Atlantic area of the United States and specifically right outside of Baltimore, Maryland, otherwise known as the Charmed City. Mm -hmm. You may have heard of it. Yep. And not too far from D.C., which is actually the city I was born in. So not too far from where I started. I love
1: Washington. Yes. Yeah. I've been there once. I absolutely fell in love.
2: Oh great Best bookshops great. ever
0: yeah they do have some good ones <laughs> so um let's uh, let's get to the to straight to the to the quick really with the with your yeah. author career to date so we we know there's another book coming, but so far uh we are talking about the spinster's fortune yes and have... take 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 our audience through uh the genesis of that and what it's about
2: okay so it is actually set in in D.C., uh, which, as I said, is, is is the city of my birth. And so it resulted from um, sort of my background as a historian. Uh, I trained up as a historian and have always uh, retained an interest in research. That's kind of my wheelhouse. So I was researching some genealogy, which I have done for years and recently in the genealogy world, everything has uh, started to become populated on the internet, which is great. So I was drilling down in some historic newspapers to find some information out about my grandfather, who, who passed long before I was born. I really didn't know that much about him, except that he was a lawyer in DC, working in DC. And I I was on the hunt for stories about him, and he worked on some famous cases, and up pops a photograph, which of course was delightful. Um, but then I read the story that came with that photograph, which was the real life story uh, that I based the spinster's fortune on. And the story was about an elderly woman who was in the poorhouse and of of diminished mental capacity. And what was happening was that her abandoned house in Georgetown, which is a neighborhood in DC, her abandoned house was being uh, ransacked and looted. And people were coming out with money and treasures. And so this was uncovered. And so the newspaper, I just started to go down the rabbit hole with the newspaper um, coverage of it. It became a big deal. It was, there was national coverage of this that spanned over a six month period. So my grandfather was the lawyer on the case to to help recover these monies. So that became the the basis of the story. And then I just, um, I wanted to know why. How how did this happen? How does something like Mm. this happen? So it was was in exploring the why of it that I let my imagination spin out the rest. And that's how the story resulted.
1: That's fascinating. I love that though, that a, a real life event sparked the story so is the story sort of a
2: fictional version of what happened or is it
0: yeah where does where does your uh, imagination take it beyond what you could research so
2: so I used I guess I I guess I would say I used the framework of the real life story and and a lot of the facts but um I have two main protagonists in the story I have Blanche Magruder which was her real name as as the elderly spinster and then Using my imagination, I created a character named Margaret, who was her niece, who, who did not know her aunt well, but was uh, they tapped uh, into Margaret as the next of kin, and she became the exact in, in the fictional account. She became the executor, and then I used Margaret to sort of carry the story out and to figure out how did this happen, how did her aunt get in these straits, why was this not known. And so really the rest of the story about the money being uncovered and everything uh, is, is fictional.
0: And that period, I mean, you're a historian. So how well did you know it in terms of, uh, I mean, because one of the key things with historical fiction is getting that detail right and Absolutely. getting the right balance of dropping in, not everything you know, but mm-hmm. enough to mm-hmm. transport your reader to that period. So yes. how, how strong was that? that we're talking, so you say 1929?
2: Nineteen twenty nine, yeah. So the nineteen twenties era. So we're
0: talking what Wall Street Crash era, that kind of period.
2: But a bit before that is that when the the story actually takes place. Uh, So that's actually my favorite. Just ironically, that's when the actual event happened. But that's also my favorite period of history. I love so much. Yeah, I love so much about that time period. Just the aesthetic of it. The the fashions, the, the history that was going on, the, the current events. So I was really drawn to that anyway. And so I guess uh, you know, part of me knew about that era to start with, but then I did drill down because, as you mentioned, we know historical fiction readers are very picky We're about getting forensic. the details straight. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, I and, and I'm a historical fiction reader myself, so I know if a detail is off. That'll throw the reader off the story right away. Sure. So I was so so there were a number of details that I really had to drill down and make sure were were correct, um, including this is kind of a this is kind of a side note. But as I was you know the endless edits that you go through and trying to get everything right, I had a cab in the story. A cab picks up Blanche at one point. Yeah, and I had it as a um, black and white cab. I mean, I'm sorry, I had it as a yellow, yellow cab. cab. Yellow yeah. cab because they were in place by that time period, okay? I don't know what made me think of it, but I decided to say, wait, well, wait a minute, were they here? They actually did not come to D.C. until the next year. Ah. So I changed it to the cabs they did have that year, which were black and white cabs.
0: Black and white cabs, yeah. And that's
1: yeah. the sort of thing somebody would notice, is not it? That just sort
2: of in, just, in case, <laughs> just in case I would get that in a review, you know? But, yeah, it's, it's those kind of things. That, but that that's, that's actually fun for me. I like digging around and, and, and looking at the specific historic details of the yeah. situation. So that was fun. So, no, Do you
1: think it came naturally to you as a historian to want to write stories, to, to sort of go into this semi-fictional
2: world? Definitely. I, I, I think that from a young age, my um, imagination was sparked by history. And especially... American history and mm. it probably sounds funny to you guys because we have a very <laughs> yeah, young we have history a bit more, here yeah. so yeah it's a years is a bit different but um I grew up um my my father was a history buff and his sort of hobby was uh renovating historic houses so at, from a young age I grew up in old houses and there are a lot of um Things that that in doing that could spark imagination. I mean, artifacts that were found underneath floorboards, and then even things that went bump in the night.
1: I throw that out there, about that because I saw on your website that you, it said you grew up in old houses, and you yeah. know you experience had, experiences of a yeah. ghost, so. yes, had experiences
2: with ghosts. yes, I had experiences. I had experiences. <laughs> It's, it's not so much as seen as uh, experiencing it with the other senses, I would say. Yes. You know, there, there were things that went on. for. I'll throw, I'll throw a benign one out there. Okay. Being woken in the middle of the night and smelling the scent of lavender in the room, in mm. one specific room of the house. So those kind of things. Mm. Uh, and, and as time went on, and, and now that I'm the age I am, I I really feel strongly that when life happens and there's so much emotion and events that can go on in a place, I feel that it's not, it's not with, it doesn't not make sense that that might be left behind. Something of that might be Mm -hmm. left behind in some way.
1: I absolutely agree. I mean, my sister lives in a, quite an old house and um, me and my mum, independently of each other, we didn't realise we both felt the same way, but we don't like going in one particular room. Mm-hmm. And we to have a conversation later on and I said, oh, you, you don't like it either. And she said, oh, I didn't know you didn't like going in there.
2: Yeah. We both yeah. get the creeps. We don't know what it is, but we both yeah. get the creeps. Which room in. is it? Well, I I think think I, I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I think that's the sixth sense. And I, I, I think we all have it. But I think some of us are maybe more tapped attuned. into it or more open to
0: it yeah. than
2: That's others. True. And I, But I think we all have the capability of working on it and developing it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because we 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 transferred, um, we've been living in this barn that we're recording this from about 14, 15 months ago. Before that, we were renting a an ancient farmhouse from 1652 Mm. so civil war and Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) very civil war not mine and it it did have i mean you know it had a lot of drafts so that might have been it but it did have this effect on the cat now we always have to mention the cat but the cat would freak out at about 10 to 6 every evening for about three minutes
1: yeah in the living yeah. room she would oh, be yeah. watching tv and suddenly the cat just goes bananas
0: yeah huh and okay. she start running around chasing some sort of spirit or something oh, like that yeah
1: so the setting uh,
0: and yeah. and it was regular as clockwork right. Every, right every every day
2: right well we yeah we have to pay attention to the end yeah they know they know things for
0: sure yeah she knows a lot of things but yeah. um yeah Yep. She's, uh, yeah, she holds some things back. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 until then, I was a bit more agnostic about it. But I suppose I've spent a lot of time myself in places of uh, with, with great histories um, in terms of uh, my connection. Initially, when I was a young, young, you know, a chorister, I was in a very ancient church. Now in that Cambridge.
1: Church gives me, you took me there. He I, gave you the willies, I, lilies, I almost didn't had it? a panic
2: attack in that church. Mm, you and did. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, you must have sensed it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that place as well. It's witnessed all sorts. Um, yeah. yeah. Town riots against the the university and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there's lots of of deep history there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think um, if you ever visit, I mean, I, another occasion when I really felt it, and it, you know, it's partly the weather, but I went to the Battle of the Somme battlefields, and there's one oh, or yeah. two places where they've re- retained the trench lines and the shell holes and even the barbed wire holding mm. um, devices. And there you really get a sense. You can actually almost smell the blood. Oh, it's yeah. it's very, very yeah. evocative. Mm. And, and yeah. more than spooky, it's actually quite, you know, it, it, it reduces you to, I don't know, it humbles you really.
2: Mm. It's such a heavy, it's almost like a heavy cloak comes mm. over you of that feeling. Yeah. Here, the a parallel to that we have over here is the American Civil War. Benefits. Yeah,
0: Gettysburg or something like that.
2: Yeah, and at one point I lived near the... The Battle of Antietam. I don't know if you've heard of Antietam, but it was right. the bloodiest battle of the Civil was War. It? And I, the, the stories from this area are just, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. In fact, just to throw one out real quick, there was a house that was um, in existence at the time of the battle.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the claim was they had a room where they had uh, the soldiers, they were trying to take care of the soldiers. Anyway, afterwards, the room was so bloody and the floors and the walls and everything were just filled with blood that to this day, they clean it up and it comes back. Wow. Wow. That's just one story. Yeah. There are, there are uh, many others, There's many like others. That. So yeah. Yeah. Because the civil war was so devastating to our country. And and so, yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I mean, look, our American listeners will know, you know, this stuff and actually in the UK, It's not taught. The American civil war is not because, you know, we're busy fighting our own colonial wars at that period. And uh, (laughs) we, you know,
2: and it was, it was not that, I mean, the span of things, the time period was not that long that it would feature on yeah, world history so much.
0: No, but the, the, but what people don't appreciate, I think, and I I'd started reading about It's just the level of carnage and the, what was it? A quarter of the population killed as a result Absolutely. of the civil yes. war
2: something like that yeah i don't have a yeah. figure in mind but yeah yeah uh
0: you know an attrition rate far higher than you know even the first world war right um,
2: and and so many physical places yes. that were impacted impacted by it in, in the terms of a, a battle or a skirmish or just a, a, an incident Even so so you know especially where i'm located in my area mm. Mm. i i mean i you know, I can spit and I'll be in another civil war site. Like, really? It's that, it's that prevalent. It happened all over the place. Yes. So when we talk about physical places and, and events and emotions going on, you know, we're, we're surrounded really.
0: Mm. Yeah. I'm intrigued about that. You know, when you're doing research for a book like this yeah, uh, and I'm drawn towards historic fiction as well, in terms of I'm writing something said in world war two and I've got a big dream to write something based in victorian manchester in, in about 1860 which was the height of the industrial oh, revolution see, there yeah. and marx and engels are up the road in the library watching you know things unfold and bringing up the communist Manifest- oh, yeah. manifesto yeah, and all that stuff yeah um, but the thing that i find frustrating with it is i've got a story and i want to tell it but at the same time i've got to do that research so that balancing act of knowing when you've got enough start committing to the story or do Mm -hmm. you did you retrofit anything or how did it work in terms of the amount of research and then the point where you started to write the fiction side
2: so to be perfectly honest it was that initial um plunge down the rabbit hole of those newspaper articles Mm -hmm. because that provided me so much as I said it spooled out over a period of months and so I mean there were articles in Chicago in LA coming out about this months later And so each article would just be filled with new tidbits and and new details that hadn't been in the other ones. So that was so much to start with. And then I took it from there and just used the good old um, Google tool to to really find out more. And and that became an exercise of where had this story come up in the past in, in D.C. historical collections, in journals, in magazines? And it had come up. And then a really quirky thing was there was a cartoonist that was doing cartoons about interesting stories in D.C. from earlier time periods. There was a cartoon of Blanche Magruder and this story. And the cartoon also got me all fired up. And he, you know, and he had details that were different. But also Blanche's family, the Magruder line, was a historic family that helped settle the area and the city of DC. So that also allowed me to tap into something that's that's uh, real near and dear to my heart, which is genealogy. So I could look down into the family lines and see where they lived and see all their health. And so so there was just, believe it or not, there was enough doing that to provide me the research. Um, and then along with that, as, as we talked about, was that 1920s, that era of history is always being interesting to me. And then I personally have family connections to, to DC and that area. Um, that's where my father grew up. That's where his parents were married. That's where their house is, was located. Uh, he, he went to Georgetown University. So I know the, I know the place. Yes. Yeah, and that's, that's something with fiction that's interesting because I, you know I've, I've been to different talks about how it can be so helpful to go to a place that you're writing about Mm. and in this case this is you know and i hate to use the trait you know know what you write about what you know but really i know this i went to high school in dc too so i was born in dc you know so so there there is something to that i think in the way this story took off Mm. um and and that kind of ties into my second novel that'll be coming out in november Um, It's a novel I've been working on for over 11 years, Wow! Wow. (laughs) and it's been through so many uh, versions, points of view, renditions. But five years ago, I had the opportunity to go out to the actual place, which is in California. It's a town in Northern California called Calusa, California. Mm -hmm. And being able to, first of all, being able to go out, there was a dream come true. But second of all, once I was out there, wow! I mean that that just lit the fire. I that sense of place, being there, capturing all those nuances and all those details that there's, I I just didn't have it before. You know, you can yes. only do yeah. so, so much with Google Maps, really. Mm. And, it's and being there, yeah. There's something about being there. So back to Spencer's fortune. I don't I don't know if that's why the novel finally clicked, and and connected with with um people
0: yeah and and in terms of how long it took you to 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 complete it i mean 11 years is a long one for the second book but how long was spencer's fortune
2: spencer's fortune i began in 2015 and then um the second novel that i'm talking about and spencer's fortune my 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 rule has always been query a hundred at least a hundred times and for a year so i maxed that out With Spencer's Fortune, and I had started on on my second novel. I was I was in the process of doing that. Spencer's Fortune was on the shelf, but there were onesies and twosies that came along every now and then. So I would throw it back out there, and that's the novel that got picked up. It got picked up in December 2020, right? Published April 2021. So I started writing it in 2015. So the so from the point of writing it to getting it published was five and a half years or so yeah yeah that's
0: right and in terms of your your day-to-day discipline in terms of writing what what's your your rhythm and your your work um, schedule
2: so i i do better in the morning if if it can if it can happen in the morning but you know life gets in the way uh i, re- I really feel strongly that 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 point just after waking up when you're, you're right between subconscious and conscious and sort of everything's sort of floating around your head. I, I really feel like that's a great opportunity to capture it, but like I said, you know, life happens. So um, ideally I am doing a little something every day with writing. Yeah. Now the business of writing is different than the creative part of writing, but that business of writing needs to happen too. So sometimes it's um, tending to that, which I, which I consider I'm doing a bit every day. Um, I am just wrapping up my third novel that I'm getting ready to, to try to push out there and find a home for. So right now I'm at that um, exciting point where I'm deciding what I'm gonna be working on next yeah that's good so excited about Blank that i haven't ever, yes i haven't quite pinned down what that's going to be so I'm, I'm tending to more the business stuff right now yeah which has to happen
0: well it does and yeah it's delicate balancing out. i don't know how um, some authors particularly in the indie sector are pumping out six books a year I, yeah. with all the attendant publicity and the advertising and stuff they have to do with it as well yeah i just don't yeah. know how you can do it i know, but, I know. you know with respect um
2: definitely Definitely.
0: yeah Uh, in terms of the reception you've had then um what's it been like what you know have you have you built a following now as a result of this book
2: yeah so i was i was pretty green when i got my uh my publishing contract for the Spencer's fortune. And I really had to throw myself in with all four feet to, to try to get up to speed. I didn't even have an author's website at that point. So <laughs> right. I just, I just hit it hard down the line and, and tried to get it all going. But my publisher has a very uh, warm community of authors that they connect, connected me to. And right away, there were tons of ideas. And, and I just started trying everything. So um, I have at this point, Built up a good, pretty, fairly good following on all the all the socials, and I've got my my writer's um, author's website in play, and so I feel I'm in a much better place with that. Uh, what really was an incredible stroke of luck with the Spencer's Fortune for me was that. So it was published in April 2021. Yeah. In July, I put in for a book bomb featured deal. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that that holy grail that unicorn it happened and it, it really was just the game changer hmm. for for my debut novel um because it was a it was a three it ran for three days in august august 2021 and by the end of those three days there had been twenty eight thousand downloads yes and so that just has kept going that's kept the ball what, were
0: long. you offering that at 99 cents or free or? free Free. Free for
2: three days. Yep, and uh, wow. yeah, and the reviews have continued to trickle in on Amazon and Goodreads. I think I'm, I'm over fifteen hundred reviews on Amazon. On fantastic. It. And so yeah, it it just totally, um, totally put it on the map, and I'm, I'm really grateful that it happened. Um, I think there's some some Celtic ancestors pulling the strings behind the <laughs> scenes there. <laughs> <laughs> make that happen so yeah that's where that is and i'm hoping to build on that um with the second novel coming out which is a a bit of a change in genre so i have Mm -hmm. to confess to being a genre hopper okay but um but i loved listening to your podcast with dave mccluskey is it mccluskey mccluskey yes yes yeah yeah because I, i i loved what he said about that that it's okay to change genres. That's okay to change it up, that it really comes down to voice. And if you have the voice, then you can do it. You know, because there's a lot of hard and fast thoughts about that, that that's not a good thing Mm. to switch it up, especially as early as I am in, in getting my career going and getting my author career going. But I have such strong feelings about this second novel that, it's it's a, I, I would call it a coming of age historical fiction, so it doesn't have that mystery element. Um, now, what what I'm drawn to writing is mystery, um, yeah, historical or not. So that that's really what I'll be coming back to. But this this one that I've been working on for eleven years, I, I almost consider it in the ancestral debt of sorts. Mm, yeah, and so I, I just. I'm just so happy that it, that it can finally get out in the world. I really am. It's, it's and something what period are we understand.
0: dealing with in this one?
2: 1850s, Wild okay. West, out in California. Yeah. Oh, wow. It is, it, yeah, it's a real different thing. It's also based on my genealogy pursuits. Right. And it's a, it's a story that I uncovered about my own family. Yeah. And once I uncovered it and I found it, I couldn't not know it. Yeah. And I realized I'm the only person that can Tell get this it. story out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I said, it's a bit of an ancestral debt in a way. Is
0: that gold rush period or is that we're we dealing with it's, here
2: it's It is. It's right after the gold rush. So what happened right. for a lot of folks is they didn't get money off of finding gold. No. They got money in the aftermath of building up businesses that supported the gold rush. Yes. And so this this particular line of my ancestors did indeed do that. And yes. became
0: Yeah, the money was in running the general store and the and the, exactly. you know, and the exactly. place where you can get your pick pick handles. Yep. And that's <laughs> exactly
2: Hollywood films. Obviously. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's exactly
2: what this ancestor did. And also it's it's a part, there were boom towns. So a lot of these towns that, that were founded resulted from all the masses of people coming out there. And then they sort of um, they sort of shuffled the deck because some of the towns they set up immediately became ghost towns because of their placement in in the geography didn't work out.
0: Yes. Yeah. But unsustainable, town, yeah.
2: Right. But the town that this story is based in is Calusa, California. And the setting was on a on a river, the Sacramento River. And so it continues to be a town to this day. And like I said, I had the opportunity to go see it. And it sure. was fascinating. Yeah. To me, yeah. it's fascinating. We'll it see what everybody else thinks about it. So we'll
1: Yeah, I like what you said You said um, a few minutes ago about the fact that when you actually went to the place, it made a big difference, Huge difference. to your writing and story, I Because think, you it, could see it and, well, smell, I think, it and uh, smell it.
0: Smell uh, it. I think I was going to say you can yeah. taste it. You can, you can feel it. Yeah. The, if you can convey the atmosphere and the vibe, if that's right. not a too, too glib a word.
2: No, um, and the events that I was writing about, I could actually stand in the place where they took place because yeah. some of the events that, that took place happened in real life. There was a civil, believe it or not, a civil war event way out there really? that took place. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. This, this uh, ancestor was a Southern sympathizer. Ah. And when Lincoln was assassinated, he and a bunch of his cohorts celebrated that
1: ah. uh,
2: at the courthouse. Oh, my God. I could go to the courthouse and stand on the land where this happened. Yes. He and his fellow cohorts were hauled off to Alcatraz Prison in San Francisco. Really? Wow. That's amazing. To the rock. It is amazing. And that's, that's just one little snippet of the things. Well, I'm, 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 I'm in for this. I'm, this sounds fascinating. <laughs> we are a house of history buffs, aren't we well we That's are great. Yeah we, great yeah we
0: are yeah really. yeah
2: and then we have and we have that wolverhampton history connection going yeah, on that we talked about. about yeah, so yeah. tell us a
1: bit more about that yes yeah, so you, you know more? how many miles away from,
0: uh, from? Uh, about 16 17 yeah, miles from about wolverhampton. 20, no, 30 minutes to get there oh less than
1: yeah i will wow. go and have a look at the street
2: and I will go someday because it's, that's another place that I need to go. I need to go stand there and be there because, yeah. yeah, so much of my family history. In fact, it's too much to get into now. But this Calusa, California story, its yeah. roots are from Wolverhampton. And we're all where that started. But anyway, so my great grandfather was um, a photographer and he had photography studios all throughout England. Eventually, he, he got down to Brighton, England. But his, one of his main places was Wolverhampton. And so I sent you an article. I don't know if you had a chance to open that yeah, up, yeah, but, yeah. but there's also, it's funny. I just pulled up another, like I said, the internet's populating all the time yeah, with yeah. updated stuff that, Fresh you know, stuff, yeah. years ago, when I first started doing research it was down to the card catalog and digging around, you know, there was oh, none yeah. of this. so this is just amazing. <laughs> to living in the like
1: library, you.
2: Yeah. And kind of, like I said, I just, I talked to you about it. And then just on a lark, I look, there's more stuff about him in a, in a his, an essay on Wolverhampton that was recently published that I hadn't seen. Anyway, his first shop was on Darlington street, 41 Darlington street, his second shop. And, and to, he, he, he um, migrated over to the U S to Kansas. So his shop up until 1906 was on 49 Queen Street. So he was located, I guess, in the, the original old city uh, of Wolverhampton. Yeah. Mm. And that's where he positioned himself. So he in this article that I pulled up, it's by a woman named Michelle Nich- Nichols. She she calls him a celebrated local photographer. Um, and it's really interesting. He pops up as that. And I've never really been able to pin down why. At one point, I think he received an award from the queen, maybe, but he's a mystery man. Um, he actually changed his name. He has a fake last name. Ah, oh, I think you need to solve this mystery. I believe me i've been trying the impossible i can do miracles take me a little longer so th- this is one that's it's a thread that i'll i continue to work on to this day absolutely Well, come it's... come
0: stay and uh and... i would love yeah, to yeah
2: have to be... Be... we'll have to meet you there that, that would well, we'll be that up. would be fantastic yeah that would
0: yeah, be fantastic now i think yeah. it is time um, mary to 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 challenge you with the greatest uh, challenge in modern podcast oh
2: no i'm scared Okay. Um, And we don't like
0: to build it up too much, but uh, it is. Rebecca's random question.
1: Okay, it's related to all of this, funnily enough. Uh, We listened to a podcast uh, called, what's it called? The Rest is History. The Rest is History. And it's essentially two blokes and they pick a topic. Two
0: top academics. Oh,
1: sorry. Two top academics who happen to be male (laughs) (laughs) and they pick a topic from history and it could be anything and they just chat about it and it's really good podcast so i mm-hmm. recommend it but yeah, the they were just... talking about uh i think the title was killer fashions yes well, i picked that because i thought oh killer fashions what's that about it was about um clothing that uh could kill
0: was inherently dangerous yes
1: yeah, so i think like top hats ballerinas
0: were... tutu in a candle lit theaters yes yeah, so hundreds that... and hundreds died
1: Top oh, hats yeah. that had mercury in them. So, you know, there was poison there. Yeah. Green yeah. ball gowns yeah. with arsenic.
2: Yeah. Things uh-huh. like
1: that. Uh-huh. So my question to you, is, it's sort of related, is
2: what item of clothing from the past do you wish we wore now? Ooh. So, it, so I'm not talking about something that would kill. No, no. Not no. Necessarily that was kill. just
1: what led me to think of the question. Okay,
2: okay. Because I so, like top hats. Sorry. Okay, so what item... Do I wish we could wear now
0: whalebone corset? Whalebone corsets, yeah. That's a good one. Apart from, you know, now we'd have to find a substitute material for it. Definitely, you know, definitely. Bumping off a few whales. But well, on
1: definitely. this program, they were talking about it's a type of dress that sort of went down and then out like a bell shape. We
2: mm. were fashionable at once, and women would just sort of totter in them. I like you know that, the, you yeah, quite I like that? that. That that you mean? So you would like the bottom part of that, the hoop part of it? Yeah. Because didn't they use a hoop contraption? Oh yes, they, they did. Yes, they, right, so. To keep that up on a frame, so it was like a frame walking around on a frame.
0: Absolutely, no, no, yeah. they did. It was a, a t- certain type of new steel that allowed them to build those um, those uh, very very large skirts that sort of you know if you think of King and I and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, but, Which, and but, they
2: must have been heavy.
0: Oh, well, they were. They were. So the uh, weight But also to carry apparently around. extremely yeah. dangerous, because if, if the yeah. spark from a fire, uh, you, know, you weren't aware that you're, 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 the back of you was near it, people were consumed with flames yeah. uh, by <laughs> these things. So, I mean, yeah. there was the, the Grand Duchess of, what was it? The Archduchess of Austria
2: yeah.
0: was consumed by fire. Yes.
2: Because of her dress. Because of her dress, dress. Yes. yeah. Okay, wait a minute. I just thought of something better. Can I, yeah. can I change it up real quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Go on. So the time period, which may have been Marie Antoinette's time period, where they had the huge hairdos with bird cages in the middle.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) But I'm speaking
2: of that. Would be cool. That would be cool. To recreate really
1: that. Cool. Not I probably country. don't have enough
2: hair to tease up to do that. <laughs> yeah,
1: you need lots of hair. <laughs> well,
0: I, I'm a I'm a, an ancient historian, so I'd go for a toga, a, a decent imperial toga, you know, with a bit of purple.
1: There's nothing to and stop you going into
2: our local town, Newport, in a toga. There you go. go <laughs> and shopping. quite quite comfortable of all the things <laughs> we're tied, that would be the most comfortable.
0: Absolutely. And
2: airflow, all that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I have worn a kilt to an occasion and it was a mm-hmm. cornish tartan kilt uh, and I hadn't appreciated just how hot the damn thing was going to be uh, and how yeah, heavy
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and you think yeah no wonder mm-hmm. the rumours are that no one wears anything underneath because
2: <laughs> you, know, you, you can't right too heavy and hot <laughs> heavy and hot it really uh-huh, was uh-huh.
0: it really was yeah. uh, well it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for joining us Um, got to ask you uh, in terms of the writing career going forward so mm-hmm. you know you've got plans for you're thinking about fourth book is this going to be the rest of your life now? Are you absolutely passionate about this?
2: So to this point, I've always been writing. So even if I had not been able to become an author and officially get the books out there, I would still be writing. It's, yeah. I, I view it as my way of processing the world. It's, it's my bit of creativity that, that is available to me that allows me to process and to get out there what I what I need to get out there so I would be writing with or without the books out there but that said I'm, I'm extremely grateful that the that I am able to get the books out there yeah. you know it, it means the world to me
0: and as a child tries to steal a diet coke we return from <laughs> Mary Kendall's interview and, uh, he was
1: quite stealth then, though. I didn't well, hear he, him. Well,
0: he's, he's, of your three children, he's the only one you never hear because he can move. Oh, like we a,
1: certainly hear the other two.
0: Like a ninja. The other two are like elephants.
1: Oh, he creeps off to put it in the freezer.
0: Yeah, the fact that he's still doing that, having been spotted, is a bit daft. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll let him off. He's just finished his GCSEs. Congratulations, Josh, for getting through it. And uh, Luke finishes next week.
1: On Monday, actually. Oh, on Monday. Yeah. Wow.
0: Okay. Well, we've got some kids on loose ends, so we can get those weeds sorted, so we can get the mowing done. All those sort of things that uh, young people should be forced to do. <laughs> and this place tidied up. Yes. That does need it.
1: It does need it, desperately.
0: It does. It's a real state at the minute. Anyway, that's uh, <laughs> largely my fault, as usual. So, uh, we... Well,
1: that's what you can do on the week when I'm on holiday. Then. Yeah.
0: Now, you've been busy this week doing something which a lot of other publishers have done and we've just woken up to. And this was suggested by <laughs> Linda Huber. I was uh, panicking
1: uh, and thinking, what have I done? Well, it's
0: called copy editing. No, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's called printing. No, it's not that. It's changing or adding categories on Amazon.
1: Yes. So but, it's Lin- like you say, Linda Huber, we have to thank. We knew about this vaguely, didn't we? we did. but yeah.
0: I mean, you hear it mentioned, but actually the practicals of doing it. So what, what, what happens when you put a book on KDP? You get three categories that you can nominate.
1: Actually, only two.
0: Only two. Mm. Sorry, yes, you're right. Two categories when you put a book onto the Amazon system or Kindle Direct Publishing, KDP. And then there's a system where if you can find the categories, like the A-Team, if you can find them, you can ask for Amazon to list your books against these smaller niche categories.
1: Yeah, and often actually more accurate. So it's a bit more complicated. So when you put a book on on the KDP dashboard, you have a choice of two categories. Now, you can select these from a drop-down list, and this drop-down list is very broad. So you can't put um, um, erotica, mountain goats, or whatever <laughs> yeah. but it's usually police procedurals or traditional or cozy you know so they're very broad and you can't do anything until the book's published once the book is published you can email kdp and give them a list of categories you'd like a particular isbn particular book to be set in mm-hmm. and so this week i had a, a spare couple of hours and i thought i'm going to send kdp a really big email <laughs> and i i've Found some really good categories for many of our books, but most of them at least one new category. And we can see results already, can't we?
0: We can. We can. So uh let's have a look.
1: And they're not stupid categories, I'd like to add. They are relevant no, to they're the not, book. No,
0: they're not stupid categories, really.
1: No mountain goats.
0: No. Okay, so I'm just looking at the Genesis Inquiry by Ollie Jarvis, which we published back in October. And it is number one, yay! In sacred texts, well done, Ollie. <laughs> number five in criminal law, but number f- we have a number one bestseller as a result, which yeah. is fantastic.
1: And Harry, uh, Harry Fish, currently two of his books are number two in different categories. So yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so it works. I mean, a lot of the bigger publishers, uh, you know, the joffees of the world. Certainly, um, I would say Boldwood do it a lot
1: it's funny i was looking at bold i did my research i did a lot of research on the categories that bold choose for their books and bloodhound
0: <laughs> yeah they're all at it and so are we now um it gets you a number one bestseller tag which
1: we hope uh, will have an impact on yeah sales. and it's
0: going to mean yeah it's going to titillate the, the algorithm for sure yeah
1: that's that's the aim
0: so yeah, I mean that's uh, we'll see, we'll see. I mean we, you know, we're, we're continuing to invest. The other thing, piece of news I wanted to, to pass on this week was that Malcolm Hollindacre has been organising Harrogate Noir, which is being held in September uh, in Harrogate and has invited alongside himself uh, some other authors, including Ollie Jarvis, aforementioned author of the Genesis Inquiry. We're sponsoring the event, which uh, is in conjunction with Harrogate Libraries.
1: Does that mean we're going to sell ice creams outside the front door?
0: <laughs> Possibly. Well, the Hoback, Hoback uh, cat is, logo is is all over the publicity now. So uh, look out for more details of that event uh, as we go. But, uh, you know, happy to, to support uh, Malcolm and the the event. It, it sounds fab.
1: And thank you, Ollie, for coming along too.
0: Yeah, that'll be good. He's a great talker. So uh, what else have we got to cover this week?
1: Anything else? Um... We're not publishing any books in June, are we?
0: No, it's really weird, actually, how that's worked out. Well, it's
1: because we had three in May and we've got three in July. So, you know, it didn't quite work out. But June has been crime reading month. Mm -hmm. And we've been pushing all of our books, you know, in a general sense. You know, come on, everybody, read a crime book if you haven't read one before. Yeah. And um, we're getting to the end now. So I hope people have enjoyed reading our books. If they've taken up my (laughs) pleas on Twitter.
0: Absolutely. Now, next week, it's our special, is not it not? Uh, or is it going to be my London Travail special? Well, we're,
1: we're hoping, yes, um, so we're hoping that you manage to find some people to talk to in London.
0: <laughs> yes, that they're London. Uh, I'll do my best. Yeah. And then the following week, we've got a we've, special. We,
1: we've got the two journalists.
0: We have, yeah. We we met two fantastic leading journalists at Crimefest and we wanted to talk about as a pet subject of mine, how badly represented journalism is in fiction. A bit like I'm sure all cops think that, you know, procedurals are, are nonsense compared to the reality. So that's what we discussed. We'll we'll get into that in a couple of shows' time, so that'll be show number seventy nine. But seventy eight will be from the SPS live show and from the Daggers, and obviously from Anglesey where you will be. And I shall be. We might have to do it yeah. before I
1: go, I think.
0: Do you think? For that one.
1: Yeah. No, no, no,
0: no, 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 no. We can link up.
1: We could do it live from Tears for Fears.
0: We're going to see Tears for Fears I know,
1: we're going to see Tears for Fears. I'm going to see Crowded
0: House as well. I've got a busy week with all sorts of, you know. Have you found someone
1: to go with, though?
0: No, not yet, no. Have got to find someone to go with? I know, I know. I'll put it out there. Anyone from want to go see Crowded House with me, Uh by all means, uh drop us a line. Anyway, that's been the Hobcast, show number 77. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, of course, to go to our website, www.hobeck.net. Details of our audiobooks, our paperbacks are available to sell there too. If buy, rather. And all the details of our authors and our plans and our latest news. And perhaps we might even get around to writing a blog this week.
1: I've written one. I wrote one yesterday.
0: Yeah, you did? We have written a new blog. Go and see it at our website. But from me, Adrian Hobart.
1: And me, Rebecca Collins, the one on the ball. Uh,
0: Thank you. And the (laughs) sleeping cat, Aki the cat. Uh, We'd like to thank you for joining us. And we wish you a wonderful and, well, you know, the rest of the
1: Shall I say it? Go on then. Creative week.
0: Yeah. Creative week. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobart Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobec online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.